Hello, I'm Michelle Cahill, and welcome to the XQ Expert Series. Today, we're talking about equity in 21st century learning. This topic raises some very compelling questions. How do high schools do a better job of educating all young people so they can thrive as adults? How do we make opportunity real for every student? Our guests today are Arva Rice, President and CEO of the New York Urban League. Arva has devoted her career to youth leadership and education. At the Urban League, she has led the development of groundbreaking college access and youth entrepreneurship programs. Sonia Santelises is Vice President for K-12 Policy and Practice at the Education Trust. Previously, Sonia was the Chief Academic Officer for Baltimore City Public Schools, where she did outstanding work on school improvement. She is also a former teacher and former director of the New York City Algebra Project. Uri Treisman, Professor of Mathematics and Director of the Charles A. Dana Center at the University of Texas, Austin. Uri is both a world-class mathematician and someone who has had a deep interest in public education for many years. Welcome. The XQ Super School Challenge is a design competition for rethinking high school to prepare all students to thrive in the 21st century economy and in civic life. What has been your role in expanding opportunity for students? How do you all think about that? And where are you focusing your efforts today? Sonia, would you like to start us off? Sure, Michelle. For me, this work has really been about the adrenaline rush that I get in proving people wrong. Proving people wrong about what their notions of what smart looks like. Proving people wrong about who they think is able and capable of doing high-level work and contributing. And really, who we believe our leaders are and where they come from. And I do think that part of why we're seeing the challenges that we are in our country right now in terms of health, in terms of the viability of our cities, the political arena, has to do with the fact that we have not yielded all of the leaders that we need to answer all of the questions and challenges that we face as a country. And if we are going to address those challenges, then we have to broaden the pool from beyond just small elite groups. We have to make it much wider than it is if we really want to see some of the issues addressed and, frankly, some of the progress that we all know we want as a nation to happen. Well, Sonia, I love the idea of an adrenaline brush, and I think that that's probably what draws all of us to this work. I'm working as the second female to run the New York Urban League in its 96-year history, I feel like I have an amazing responsibility to bring the young people who interact with me the opportunity to interact with some of the folks that I have the incredible opportunity to meet, whether it's mayors or whether it's heads of foundations, whether it's people who work in organizations. But in order to open up the worlds of young people from Bed-Stuy in East New York and the South Bronx and troubled communities, places where zip codes dictate to them one way of, of life, but opening up and giving them the opportunity to see themselves. And we do that at the Urban League through a number of different ways, introducing them to the members of our young professionals who have come from places that are similar to the places that they lived in and, and have had great success. And so I think that over the course of our decades of uh, work with the Urban League, we have been committed to empowering communities and changing lives. Uri, can you add your views? I relate pretty deeply to what they both said. 
We need a leadership for our country that represents the full diversity of American life. And we have to make good on the American claim that hard work and effort can pay off and can be a vehicle for people's personal upward social and economic mobility. And I've been specially focused on ensuring that my beloved discipline, mathematics, is not a burial ground for the aspirations of students seeking better lives through education. And I've spent a good part of my life building programs and pathways for students from low-income communities that ensure they can be part of a sophisticated modern STEM workforce. Each of you has such relevant experience. Let's talk about what expanding opportunity in the 21st century means for students and for high schools today. Sonia, from your experience in Baltimore as Chief Academic Officer and now at the Education Trust, working with educators across the country, what does opportunity in the 21st century mean for K-12 education and high school specifically? Well, it certainly does mean that we need to set higher academic standards in terms of goals and expectations that we have for our young people. But one of the things that we're seeing is that even though there's kind of wholesale agreement with that generally, there's still inconsistencies in the actual work when we get down to the student level in high schools. Recently, in um, an analysis of classroom assignments, what we've seen is that in the name of engaging young people and in providing them with rigor, we have a different level of experience amongst teachers in what that actually looks like. When we looked at an example of an assignment that we thought was both rigorous and engaging young people where they were. One that really jumped out for us was a case where a teacher had students read, and this is middle school, original works from Marcus Garvey and um, W.E.B. Du Bois and a number of black academic intellectuals. And it was very rigorous reading, but then actually had them build that into some case making that they had to do in writing over multiple pages of research integrating that with what they were experiencing as part of the Black Lives Matter movement and and a lot of the unrest and tension in urban areas. That was a way that this teacher, most definitely in this assignment, connected to the reality of what kids were experiencing, but at the same time made that assignment rigorous. And I would juxtapose that to a teacher that clearly wanted to relate to students, but did it by asking them a few quick questions that were very kind of one-word answers about like pop song lyrics. And that didn't require any kind of analysis or connection to larger intellectual thought, political thought. So part of what what we're seeing is that there's a broad range of how teachers are understanding and their proficiency in being able to blend both relevancy and rigor. It's not one or the other, but it does take skill, and we have to give teachers pictures of what that looks like. Arva, I wonder if we could pursue this with you, because I know the Urban League has made college readiness a priority all across the country. And at the New York Urban League, you've adopted programming in STEM education. Why this approach? We took this approach for a couple of different reasons, but one that was really a catalytic moment for me was attending a conference. I was sitting there in a room full of 
close to a thousand educators and uh, school-based officials, and they were talking about the dearth of African Americans and women that were studying STEM. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, well, you know, STEM wasn't something that I really pursued as a as a young person. I thought, well, here I am. I'm a college-educated person and, and my own angst and looked around the room and said, you know, there's all these folks that are here, but not too many of them are actually reflective of the population that we serve. And so I said to myself, well, if I have this angst and what we do is work with African Americans, maybe I have a responsibility for doing something about this. So I came back to the Urban League and said, you all, we're going to launch a STEM program. We're going to let folks know about this opportunity. We're going to say if people can use technology, they can learn how to be the builders of that technology. If we can figure out how to tell time by looking at our, our smartphones, that we can figure out the technology that goes into that programming. And the staff kind of looked at me and they said, but, you know, Arva, we actually don't work in STEM. And I said, but, you know, we know how to develop interactive programming. We know how to work with parents. We know how to set high standards. And so I'm sure that in our network of people that we can find folks who have the actual technical skills. And so we were able to do that. We focused in on STEM because we know it's the wave of the future. We know that providing young people with the skills and the exposure that they need in STEM to prepare them for careers and opportunities that we can't even imagine is so vital. And so we thought it was very important for us to reach out to those individuals who are doing really successfully in STEM careers, but maybe isolated in them, those people of color. Um, We reached out to them and they were just unbelievably grateful to be able to talk about their careers, to talk about their experiences and to be invited to come and to speak to whether it was our summer program or whether it was our Saturday programming. They were happy to be part of a community that the Urban League could create for them. It wasn't always easy. And that's one of the things that I really want to say about this work is that developing young people with the skills that they need to be successful isn't always easy. And that's okay. That's why it's so important, um, the work that Yuri's doing, that uh, we make sure that our young people actually know math, that they have the building blocks to be successful. Uri, uh, let me ask you a follow-up question. Uh, Building on what Arva is uh, so eloquently describing here, uh, How do high schools need to be designed to both engage young people and offer a college readiness curriculum? How do we handle areas of learning where many students say they just aren't interested? High schools have the difficult challenge not only of helping students develop real expertise in particular subjects that matter, and that's not only mathematics, but it's also things like art, because students need to be prepared to interact with others, and they need experience and seeing through other people's eyes. They need real expertise, but they need experience in using that expertise to solve compelling problems that motivate and drive them. Equally important is almost all of my students from urban schools come from now segregated high schools, and they need the ability to interact with students who come from other worlds. They need the ability to navigate the boundaries of social and intellectual worlds, to try on identities. Today's high schools need to prepare students not only around the traditional inculcation of expertise and the valuing of learning, but the ability to cross boundaries that compensate for the debilitating effects of segregation in our society. Without that, expertise will not lead to a better life and to influence. Ori, could you give us an example from uh, a student's life? So I'm thinking back over all my wonderful students, my privileged life as a teacher. 
you accumulate anecdotes that just give you energy and move you forward. So one student comes to mind when I was teaching at Berkeley, a student from Compton who came from a, a school that did not really push her, but a father who was a pastor organized all his resources to get her out of that community to an elite institution. I had her in a math class, freshman calculus. She excelled. We worked together on it. And she went on to excel in all her math classes, getting A's up through her junior year. And then I asked her one day, now that you know you can do mathematics, suppose you chose not to do it. Now that you know you can do it, suppose you didn't want to do it. What would be your second choice? Nobody had asked her that question from day one. And there was some silence, and she looked at me and she said, maybe a cosmetologist? It was so painful. (laughs) Here's a student who figured out how to excel, but had no understanding of all the options in front of her. No sense of the possible futures and the roles she can play in society. Advantage students come in feeling perfectly comfortable trying on identities, moving across different social worlds. And I realized then that so much of what she was doing was part of being in a narrow community, that I had failed to open up all the other possibilities that she could pursue, things that reflected her core values and purposes. This question of how we give students the opportunity to make grounded choices about good uses of their lives is a major function of high schools. That powerful story calls to mind Arva's description of the Urban League focusing on making science, technology, engineering, and mathematics real for the young people that you engage with so that they have actual real people who they can look at in multiple careers, who they can meet, they can speak with, and that that goes hand in hand with the building of competencies. But we also need to focus on rigor. Rigor and acceleration aren't just about what educators ask and demand. They're about what students put into their learning. Students need to work harder, and that's a difficult thing to ask of students who haven't had such good experiences with schools in the past. How do we help them learn to trust educators in school? How do we give them opportunities to learn what it means to fall short and get honest, constructive feedback and come back and try again to work harder? Sonia, what's been your experience with this? One of the things that we found is that really a lot of our experiences for kids in poverty were actually impoverished learning experiences. For kids who have access to less, we were uh, giving them less. We tried to flip the switch on that. So one of the best examples, and it was by no means system-wide, we created a summer experiences for kids who were three to four years behind in math where we actually did have accelerated time um, in the morning. We gave them extra time in the summer, but it was all centered 
centered around robotics. And the whole goal of what they were doing was for them to learn robotics, which was immediately engaging, immediately applied. Some students saw the connection to the math that they were doing in the morning and the robotics that they were doing for the four or five hours in the afternoon. Some didn't, but they were willing to actually engage now in ways that they weren't before because this whole idea of building robots and exploring robots and racing robots was far more compelling reason for them to then go back and actually reapply themselves to the math that they previously had not mastered. The grit that everybody talks about came as a result of them directly seeing the application. It goes back to, again, something that Uri said that we need to make explicit, and that is what are the experiences we are giving our advantaged students versus those who we know need more. Our re- Building on what Sonia is saying seems to me to be something that youth development organizations have been thinking about for many years. Absolutely. I think that um, Sonia's comments on making sure that programming is engaging, sometimes we get caught up in the idea that we need to be entertaining when it's actually engaging is the key building block that's there. I think that when you talk about youth development, opportunities for engagement and relationships with a positive and caring adult, that's what we really try to do in our STEM programming. When you talk about working with community organizations, what we bring to the table is a different set of assets. We're able to bring in relationships that we have with businesses. We're able to bring in relationships that we have with young professionals, people who are actually doing that work on a day-to-day basis. One of the things that we do with the Urban League is we have our empowerment days. Think of it as a super up, take our daughters back to work day. So rather than taking one daughter, we take 200 daughters Mm -hmm. and we take 200 um, sons and we bring them into various uh, corporations from Google and Microsoft and Etsy. And the young people have an opportunity to spend that day going and walking around those organizations, seeing people that look like them and finding out about their life paths and uh, and it opening up what's possible for them. And the young people walk in in the beginning of the day and they're like, all right, miss, what are we doing today? Why did my uh, counselor suggest me for this day? And by the end of it, they're like, I had no idea that there's people who look like me who work at Google. And for them to be able to walk around that space, it just opens up their opportunities. So I think that when it comes to rigor, when it comes to STEM, when it comes to getting our young people involved and engaged to something that may seem hard, that may seem like something that they don't understand because it's not something that their mom or their uncle or their auntie has ever done. One of the things that we found was every single person person was able to identify the engineer that they met, the computer programmer that they met. And as a result of interacting with that person, the idea of that job, of that position became possible. These are both very powerful illustrations of the ways in which we can think very differently about engagement with young people. Ori, I wanted to follow up on this. You are a professor of mathematics who's also spent a great deal of time thinking about issues about motivation and how students develop motivation, persistence. And I wonder if you would comment on that in relationship to rigor and identity. When I began as a teacher, I took 18 months and moved into the dorms at UC Berkeley, interviewed my students as they fell asleep at night. I wanted to really understand how to help students develop a passion for learning and a sense of competence. And what I heard is that almost all these students, including advantage students, left high school with a long list of things 
they believed they weren't. They thought they were not philosophical, artistic, mathematical, or scientific. And they'd come out with a short list of things, perhaps, that they might be good at. This is the crisis of education. If we produce people who believe they are not X, then we have failed as educators, especially in a world in which people need to adapt quickly to new work and new social environments. So you talk about mathematics and some students might not like it, which of course I find very hard to believe because it's such a powerful tool for understanding the world. But unless students actually want to change the world or to accomplish particular things, it's hard to get them to develop expertise. It would be like training students in music only to play scales but never letting them perform. The challenge is how do we help students to understand that they have power and that power will increase through learning. And what modern social psychology has taught us is that there are sort of three dimensions to that. Students have to believe that they can succeed. They have to believe that they belong in the culture that they're working in. And it has to be connected to their purpose. The art of teaching students so that they do develop power is to ensure that they ask those questions in an environment in which they get positive responses. As a program designer, the most common response to students who are behind is to slow them down. And speaking formally as a mathematician, it's really hard to help people catch up by slowing them down. Students who need to accelerate, one has to design environments in which they can intensify their work and environments in which those social psychological issues of purpose, belonging, and capability are constructively addressed. XQ has engaged thousands of people around the country in conversation about rethinking high school. Are there a few key ideas that you believe are urgent and critical for others to be thinking about, considering, as they work on designing and redesigning high schools? In my experience of observing and supporting innovative schools, there's a common mistake that's often made, even by the best people. One sees students in need and one creates a cocoon, a self-contained environment with too much homogeneity in the backgrounds of students. So you build an environment in which students develop identity, a common culture and norms, and come out feeling powerful, and then they enter a world without those supports. If students are going to succeed in higher education, they have to be able to normalize their understanding of what's expected of them, and that means they need to be able to work with groups that they might not initially be comfortable with, or that might not be comfortable with them. They need to be able to explore other communities, communities other than their own on campuses. And this is not just about tolerance. It's learning to take principles stand in the face of difference. It's learning to find common ground and build a basis for common collective action. Schools that are too boutique or that are too cocoon-like can produce students who don't have the skills to actually navigate the complexities of the world they're going into. This, unfortunately, is a challenge of the debilitating segregation in our society. The design challenge is how does one both develop expertise, a safe culture, a cocoon-like environment some days, 
but one that's outward-looking and that produces students who can comfortably navigate the boundaries of different social and intellectual worlds, can figure out what's actually required for success in those worlds, and can ultimately succeed in them. Last week, I had the opportunity for the very first time to uh, visit Europe. I spent some time in both London and Paris, and in Paris was struck by the cathedrals, particularly Notre Dame. I think if we could think about schools rather than singular structures, but as cathedrals. And cathedrals took the lifetime of more than one person to construct. And I think that when, you, when we talk about uh, building and sustaining young people, that the work is hard but that we are not um, just building for this generation, but many, many generations ahead of ours. And that if we think of ourselves as cathedral builders, that um, we will bring in any asset, um, any um, resource that we can in order to, to build that cathedral, to build that school, to build those individual um, communities and families. And I think that community-based organizations, youth development organizations, we can galvanize them if we can all think about them as being potential resources for building these cathedrals and building these um, individuals so that we can build strong children and not have to deal with broken men, as Frederick Douglass said so eloquently. I think that that's the challenge and that's the key um, in order for us to be successful. Sonia? I think because people have, have been trying to rebuild high schools for a while. We should acknowledge that, building on a, a lot of what Arva and Ari have already said that there is a need to think about um, how to make high schools content rich again. I think that we, um, as educators, need to get the process right, the pedagogy right. Oftentimes, we get so fixated in the newness of what needs to happen that we forget it needs to actually be grounded in the content that is, is a draw for young people. Sometimes um, we get caught up within the sexiness of it and forgetting that learning in and of itself can be a really sexy and engaging activity. I do think in the current context of what we are seeing in terms of communities right now, frankly, large numbers of communities of color, large numbers of low-income communities who are having this generation's blow up of saying, we need more, we are more. We need to also be mindful of the richness of the soil of these young people's backgrounds and interests and talents because too often it is almost as if we posit education as a, quote, way out instead of a way of actually enriching the ground that a lot of them are still very connected to and should be connected to. And, and schools are an extension of communities, and young people are the best oftentimes of what communities have to give. And often, if we're not careful in our design, um, we're not acknowledging it. We're not acknowledging that there is always something good. And I say to people all the time, I've never been in a, quote, failing school where I can't find one teacher working really hard and putting great learning experiences for kids um, together despite what might be going on around them. And so, too, I would say that about communities. And I think that as we're designing schools, particularly for adolescents, they need to see that connection. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget, like a young person said in, in one of our Ed Trust forums that, you know, we know what people think of us. You know, you're not kidding anybody. And so we need to be designing experiences that signal to kids that they are 
are worthy of our energy and of expressing their own thoughts. So we, we do need to be just based on past iterations of people trying to create schools. Remember that we are creating schools in service of communities and and the jewels that are their young people. Beautiful comment, Sonia. In learning theory, when we design instruction, we have to start from what students already know. But we also have to start with who students are. And who students are is connected to the community that they come from and the community they live in. And good education and good designs will take both of those, what they know and who they are, as essential assets. Failed schools will start with a deficit approach to those two dimensions of our lives. Good design takes who students are in the context of their community and what students know, whatever that is, as the essential assets on which to build. With that, I'd like to thank Arva, Sonia, and Ori for their rich insights. Thanks for tuning into our discussion on equity in 21st century learning. We hope you found some inspiration from our experts. Visit xqsuperschool.org for more information on XQ, the Superschool Project.